Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right, my friends, are you ready to dive into week number 52 of 52? Are you with me? You guys are, yes. There's like a few of you, a smattering, more than three, less than 10 of you that are ready. And uh, I am ready for one. And I don't know if you're not ready for anything, maybe you're just ready for a new graphic, you know, on the screen. I don't know. We've had this graphic for a strong year now, and we're going to do something different starting next week. But today I want to talk about change. You know, we've been saying for a year that Jesus changes everything about everything. So I felt it appropriate that we would then center in on that idea of change. And the fact that God has a lot of changes that he's always done, that he's doing, and then he also, we have changes probably that we need to do. So to get started, I want to jump right in. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. If you have a Bible, you can do it. If you have a Bible app, you can do that. I think it's always good to kind of look at what we're reading, but it's also on the screen, of course. But this is Isaiah 61. Um, This is a prophetic book, the book of Isaiah. This was written, these words, 700 years before Jesus, but they are words about Jesus that Isaiah writes. And this is what he says Jesus would come and do. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Mm. So this, this is why Jesus came. In fact, Jesus wanted you to know this is why he came. So in Luke chapter 4, as he's getting his ministry started, he's actually called upon to speak, to preach, to teach, whatever, at, the, at, at church one day. And he stands up, and this is in his hometown, and he actually opens up to the writings of Isaiah. It wasn't chapter 61 then. There was just a bunch of writings that he found, right, in the middle of it. He went straight to this portion, and he quotes this verse. And when he finishes reading this, what I just read to you, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. Meaning, hey, the anointed me that I just read about, the one that says the Lord has anointed me, I'm the me. The scripture is fulfilled. This is like a, everybody looking at him kind of open your mouth, drop your jaw, kind of, but then Jesus is like drop the mic, look out world, here I come. This is what's going on in this moment. It's a big moment. And Jesus wants us to know that he's going to change some stuff. He's the anointed me, some really, really cool stuff that he's going to do. Get ready, world. Here I come. Look out, Satan. All that good stuff. So today, like I said, I want to talk about change because these are some of the things that Jesus came to change. The other day, uh, <clears throat> the other day Christy purchased some Jell-O snack packs. You know, not the Jell-O pudding, but the Jell-O gelatin. You know what I'm talking about? Like straight J-E-L-O hyphen, capital O. You know what I'm talking about. I'm sure many of you probably enjoy a nice chilled plate of Jell-O in your life, but um, it's been a few years since I've had Jell-O, admittedly. 
And she bought this, and she packed it in Grayson's lunch. And in his five years of life, he's never tried Jello, I guess. Like, never had it, which is it's hilarious, right? He's never had it. So he gets to lunch that day. We weren't there, but we know that he busted into his Jello pack, and apparently it was not a positive experience because he comes home, and he goes, hey, Mom, the Jello thing, don't do it again. He's out. He's like, this was, he said it was weird. It was like, he was like talking about how weird it was. And I was thinking, he's, he's kind of right. The texture of gelatin, if you've never had it, is weird. You know what I mean? So I bust open a snack pack. I'm like, let me try this thing. And I was like, like I said, it's been years. And I was like, this is weird. This is very weird. I think I'm out on gelatin only belongs in products for your hair, not food. That's, that's where I'm at on it now. Like LA looks, Deb 7, crunchy, you know, go that way. Anyway, not that there's anything, if you like Jello, there's nothing wrong with Jello. Go for it, you know, except that it's kind of terrible. But um, I used to think Jello was good. I remember my mom actually having a cardboard box of Jello, making it, putting it in a Tupperware bowl overnight. I'd wake up, I'd have some Jello the next day. Are you with me on that? Anybody have this experience? I don't know. Maybe I'm just, okay. So this, things change. Jello was something that was for me, it is not is for me. You know what I'm saying? Things change in life, and this happens all the time. Changes happen all the time with all sorts of weird things. Things that used to be normal are no longer normal. Things that used to be standard or even popular become abnormal. Things that we don't even like. I remember a day whenever it was very normal to wear a shirt size that was two or three sizes bigger than you should wear. You guys remember this day? I was buck 50, 18 years old, and I would wear triple XL. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what I did. But I also remember the day when it became cool to wear clothes that were two sizes too small. So it just... Both are weird. Both are strange. But things change. And so we've been saying for a year now that Jesus changes everything about everything. And we should be fair and ask the question, well, what are the things that Jesus changes that are unique from the things that just change because of human advancement, progress, time changes, change is inevitable. We use those sorts of things. Like you and I change. We change the way we look. We change the way we, what we wear. We even change the things we think. How many of you have had beliefs change over the last 20 years of your life? How many of you have had facts change. Do you guys remember facts? Facts actually change. When we were kids, Pluto was a planet. And then it became not a planet. It became a rock. For about 10 years, it was like, it's not even, it didn't get any love. Now they said, no, 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 it's actually a dwarf planet. So it's a dwarf planet. And you know what's going to be in the future? It's going to be a little person planet because everybody's, everything's politically correct. And so that's what's going to happen. But for me, it'll always be, is it ninth? Ninth planet. Is that what we have in our solar system? Um, so I want to talk about change. Because how does change happen? Is change just an inevitable reality about life, or are there types of changes that are not inevitable, that take something else? Because Jesus came to change some stuff, and if we were just going to walk through the Gospels like we've done pretty much the last year, and we were going to kind of say, well, what are we noticing about the Gospels? One of the things we would notice is that Jesus came in, and he had a supernatural way of doing ministry in which there was all sorts of things that people had never seen that were happening. He was doing amazing things, whether they be healing, whether they be casting out demons, whether they be raising the dead, whatever he did. We're sitting here going, this stuff is not normal, and he's saying, yeah, 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 I'm creating some new normal. I'm changing the world. I'm actually opening your eyes to the supernatural that exists all around you and the power that exists within you. And so this is what he's doing, and he's changing some realities about that, but he's also not just doing that. He's also teaching us how to live. 
If you go just as much as there's miraculous in the Gospels, there's practical in the Gospels. There's things that are like, this is how you live. This is what you do. This is what it means. And he would embody these things in the form of humility or sacrifice or love or hospitality or prayer or holiness or righteousness. Think about what Jesus did to just change things about the way he practically lived. He would hang out with the non-religious, wouldn't he? In a, in a culture that the spiritual never hang out, hung out with this unspiritual, but he hung out with them, and now it's basic, basic theology that Christians, followers of Jesus, need, even though we don't always do it well, but we need to be people who know how to hang out with people who aren't like us, who know how to reach out to people who are far from us, to love the enemies, so to speak, and other things. He called Samaritans good in a world that, no one thought Samaritans were good, but Samaritans. And now, today, we go to an award ceremony, and there's a servant award, and it's often called the Good Samaritan Award. He changed the culture, and he was always about changing the culture. He said strong instructions about the things we should do and shouldn't do, about money and marriage and our, and our sin, and he was changing our understanding of what the kingdom was like. And so he was always about bringing cultural renewal and transformation, and he was ushering in a new way to be human. And these are the changes that Jesus wanted to bring. And these kind of changes, although some of them are about progress, many of them were different than some of the inevitable changes that we experience through technology or other types of progress or advancement or even personal change as far as this, the evolution of as we mature in life, there's a kind of change that Jesus brings that's unique to Jesus. And they're definitely different than the normal trajectory of change and the paradigms we see of change in the world today. Now, I'll explain it like this. Let's just say you have something in your life that you hope to happen, something that you want to see come into reality. It's a change that you want to make to some degree, and it may be a change that you can make, and you have to do new things in order to get to that place, or maybe it's something you want God to do, maybe a breakthrough you want to see. Maybe for you, you're dealing with the reality, like, I need him to heal me. I need him to do something that I can't do. And we'll call that place that's in the future that you hope to see happen, we'll call it there. It's the place you want to get. You're like, how do I get there? How do I get to that place? And a lot of your time and energy goes into thinking about there. You even pray about there. You're like, I hope I can get there someday, right? But there's a reality about there. There's also a place called here, <laughs> And here isn't near as magical or exciting, and it's usually not quite as uh, uh, appealing as there, but our whole thought and our whole, our whole energy is how do I get from here to there? And so if we're going to talk about changes from getting from here to there, what are the normal, what are the normal types of um, ways that the world tells you to do it? Well, the world says, hey, you know, to get from here to there, you've got you to gotta, you gotta build a strategy. You've got to make a plan. And there, there's some truth in that. I don't know, has anybody ever seen the movie? It's a 90s, early 90s movie whenever Pluto was still a full planet. Um, it's called What About Bob? Anybody seen What About Bob? Yes, some of you younger-ish people. It's a great movie. It's when comedy was real and good. Um, the early 90s. But anyway, so What About Bob is a story about uh, Richard Dreyfuss is, is a psychiatrist, and there's a character played by Bill Murray, and his name is Bob. And he gave him instructions throughout the whole movie. And what were those instructions? Baby steps, Bob. 
That's what he kept saying. It's just baby steps, Bob. Like, it's baby steps. If you want to get from here to there, Bob, you got to just take baby steps. Just kind of keep going in life, and eventually you'll get where you want to get. And so it looks a lot like this, in which we see, like, these incremental steps we're supposed to take to change. And in some ways, this is correct. Because, for example, if you want to be someone, if, you, if, if, if you're there, it's like, oh, I want, to be, I want to write a book someday. Well, cool. There's, there's some incremental steps you got to take. you got to actually get an idea that's worth writing about. You actually have to, sometimes, you, you don't even have to do that. You just have to have a compelling thought in your own heart that you want to write about. But then you got to get around people that have written books and ask them questions and learn how to write a book. And then you got to actually sit in the chair and keep writing, which is where most people fall apart. They don't actually keep writing. And so there's an incremental process to, write, to writing a book. There's also an incremental process to, to making money in the stock market, right? It's like you got to learn the system. you got to get around people who, have, who have, learned, have done well in it. And then you got to eventually make the decision to make one wise investment. And then from there, you start making more wise investments and you start making money, right? And, or if you want to be someone who can make a, a professionally, uh, qu- professional quality cheesecake, keyword professional, <laughs> Um, well, there's a lot of steps. You get around master bakers, right? You, you test and you try and new things and you explore. And then once you ha- have perfected the cheesecake, that's at that point, the last step is you give me a call. <laughs> and we enjoy this masterpiece you've had. And, and this is, this is, these are some of the incremental steps, right, to change. And there are some types of changes, though, that don't quite work with the trajectory of change sort of paradigm. Some things that are beyond our control and ability, aren't they? There are things that no matter how, we, how far we go and how much we try, we just seem to never get from here to there. That's why Jesus, when he said, today the scripture is fulfilled, I really love that. There's an immediacy to some of the things that Jesus was bringing. Because Jesus changes things that we couldn't change without him. He came to change things that if we baby-stepped from, from now until the end of our life, we would never get there. And some of them we know. I mean, they're obvious. I mean, there's some things that we can't change. But this is what breakthrough, by the way, we talked about breakthrough a lot over the last year. This is kind of what breakthrough says. I'm going to skip some steps. I'm going to take you from here to there. Breakthrough says I'm going to change some things that can only be done by me. And I just want us, I want us to think about this, and I want us to think about our life. There's going to be some things that, seem, that are rather obvious about change that you already know, but maybe you just don't really intentionally kind of embody and think about when it comes to, to the changes you want to make. Because I want you to think about where you're going in life. What are the changes that need to happen? What are the things that you believe only God can do, and what are the things that you believe you need to do? Because both matter. Both questions matter. And here's the thing. All of us need to change, and Jesus, if he changes everything about everything, we can't just hope that osmosis or time actually leads us to the place we want to get, that there actually must be some sort of understanding of how we continue to change and transform and follow in the ways of Jesus. Because some things in life happen, happen to us, and some things happen because of us. Some things that happen to us aren't good, right? Like some of us, we've experienced hurt or pain or abuse, and those are the things that happen to us. And, and they're hard, but some of the things that happen to us are good. Some of us, some of us were born into a family with some really great parents. We didn't do anything to earn that. We just got it. Some of us have been given favor and blessing in our life, and we're like, I don't know why, but it, everything just kind of works out for me. And those things happen to you. 
Some of it's bad, some of it's good, but some things happen because of us. And in the same way, some of those things are bad and some of those things are good. Some of the things that happen because of us are because of the bad choices we've made. We've made poor choices and it's led to this set of ramifications. And some of the things that have happened that are really good are because of the good things we've done, right? So some things happen to us and some things happen because of us. And we get that. And this is important to know because God has given us and created us with the ability to make choices, to choose things. He gives us choices in how we relate to them, and, and even choices in how we step deeper into faith with him. He's been doing it since the beginning. He, this is what he's been doing. If he didn't want us to choose him, he wouldn't have put a tree in the garden. He wouldn't have put the tree of the knowledge tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. He wouldn't have done it. He would have actually given Adam and Eve the inability to choose if he didn't want to give you the right to choose. Now, some of you are like theological hats are already on going, where is he? What's he about to say? Is he about to say, actually make a statement about theology here? I'm just let you kind of figure this out here, but there's a thing called sovereignty and there's a thing called free will. You remember when Jesus asked Simon Peter, he says, do you love me, Peter? Sounds like Jesus is asking him a question, giving him a choice. And in his choice, there's pretty dramatic implications, somewhat even eternal implications in the choice that he makes. So holding sovereignty and free will is sort of like holding two sides of the thing, same thing, and it's, and it's uncomfortable for some, for some because some people want to elevate one over the other. And, we, and, and here's the thing. God actually presi- presides in both. He lives in absolute authority and foreknowledge and predestination, yet in his love elevates you and me to sons and daughters with freedom, free will, autonomy. And without that tension between, okay, how does he all-powerful, yet also gives us choice. He does not live at the beck and call of our choices. Somehow he's powerful, yet he's given us free will. How does this work? Well, if one is over the other, then we either believe that God does not love all people or that God is not all-powerful. If we believe the power is on our choices, well, then we believe we have some power. He's not all-powerful. If we believe that, oh, God already knows everything and those that don't come to know Jesus someday, well, he must not have chosen them. Well, What if God is someone we don't really fully understand? (laughs) What if God is actually all-powerful and all-loving? And in his perfect love, he's given us choice. So why does this matter? Why am I even talking about this? Well, if there's anything I've experienced by reading the Gospels for a year is that I know that I have a lot of changes I want to make and need to make. Is anybody with me in that? Anybody with me in the fact that you have changes you need to make in life? Give like a head nod to at least know that you're with me. You with me? Yeah. So we have changes we need to make. Yet I also know that there are some changes that I can't make and there are some changes that I can make. (laughs) Some changes will be done to me and some changes will be done because of me. I want to have the faith to believe that actually God can do anything, that breakthrough can actually take me from here to there in an instant, and that he can do more than I could ever do on my own. I want to have the faith to believe in a God like that. And the gospel actually shows us a God like that. But I also strongly believe, just as much as I strongly believe that God can do anything, I also strongly believe that God has given us the choices to make in life that actually matter, that we would make the choices to do the hard things or to do the things that are challenging 
and that we actually have been given the opportunity, if you will, to take on the ways of Jesus of humility and sacrifice and inclusion and forgiveness and hospitality and love and prayer and holiness and righteousness. He's given us these choices. So my choices matter. And you're, uh, this, is, this is where I say some of, this is, some of this is obvious. You know these things in life. But if some changes are going to happen to me and some changes are going to happen because of me, I think, it, I, think it, I think it brings us back to this. What are the changes in your life that need to happen? And where are you asking the Lord to change you? And where are you putting the effort in to change? I'm going to go back to what Jesus said in Isaiah 61 for a few minutes. Because you know Jesus wants to restore, revive, or renew. That's what he wants to do. And he identifies some people that he wants to do this in. He wants to do in the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, those who mourn, those in need. Which most of us think, oh man, those poor people. But he's talking about you and me. <laughs> We're, everyone in this room is, is, are these people that he's talking about. So this is what he says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. So the poor, by the way, is there's the, there are the physically poor and there are the spiritually poor. And, and Jesus often speaks to both at the same time. And, and, and this, is, this is what's going on. It's that, hey, if you are poor in any way, and what does poor mean? It means that you lack. If you are lacking anything, I want to fill you up. If you are poor, it doesn't mean I'm going to give you everything you need or everything you want right now, but I will give you what you need. I will take care of you. You can trust me. I have hope. If you are spiritually poor, if your soul is crying out, and see, here's the thing. Some of you in here right now, as I go through this, you're going to resonate with one or maybe more of these things. The spiritually poor are those whose souls are crying out, who are lonely, who are empty, tired. And Jesus says, I have some good news. Not all is lost. And maybe you need to hear it in this, this morning. If, you're, if you feel like you're lacking in life, if you feel poor in any way, maybe you need to know that Jesus came to change that. By the way, he also commissioned us to join him in the ministry to the poor. Just a sidebar. He interacted and hung out with the poor often and He's called us, since us into that same ministry. And then he goes on and he says, the Lord has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted. Other translations say to heal the broken. That Jesus came to, in, in, this, refer, in this reference we could say that he came to heal the sick or heal the brokenhearted. To heal those who carry, who carry hurt in their heart. And I, I don't know about you, but in today's world, I feel like I interact with people enough that I see hearts that are hurting like all the time. And, and some of that hurt that they carry is by what's been done to them, of course. They wear it. It's like you can just see it on them. Some of it's by what's not happened. I see broken hearts not just by people who felt rejection, but by people who've never felt love. It's a form of rejection, but it's actually never existed. Or they, 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 they want something in their life that just seems to never come to pass. And so they carry a hurt in their heart, wondering what's wrong with me. And you guys see this in life. Some of you feel it in life. And God says, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what Jesus came. And so what does that mean? Does he just do it? Does he just zap us from heaven? <laughs> well, there's also a piece of this in which every time you see healing in Scripture, 
I say every time. Most times you see a healing inscription in the New Testament, he looks right at him and says, because of your faith, I'm going to heal you. <laughs> so is it Jesus that does it or is it, is it us that do it? I, I don't know. I just know it happens by faith and by the power of God. So it seems like I have a stake in the, grant, in the game as well. Some things happen be- to us and some things happen because of us and sometimes it's both. To proclaim, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim freedom from the captives, to release from darkness for prisoners. Jesus is all about freedom and his most central thing that he releases people from and the darkest places he releases them from is of course the prison of their sin and so when we enter into his salvation we of course are broken free of the chain of sin however a lot of us even after we break free from that we find ourselves getting shackled back by it and he constantly is coming and saying i will set you free of that and he breaks addictions and he breaks he breaks um all sorts of things he breaks if you will food and eating disorders he breaks for pornography he breaks addictions to to, to bitterness, all these sorts of things that get rooted in our heart. He not only knows how to uproot them, he knows how to break the chains. And maybe that's for you today. Maybe the change he wants to do to you is say, you know, no more of that. It's done. I can break the chain. Will you join me in breaking the chain? Will you do your part? And then he goes on, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. What is he talking about? Well, first of all, believe it or not, Jesus wants to pour out his favor on you. Jesus is all about blessing his children God is all about blessing his children. He's all about defeating the enemy, getting, if you will, vengeance from the schemes and the works of what the enemy is doing and moving us from here to there. That's what he's about doing. He believes and wants good things for you. And some of us have to actually believe that it's time that he's going to give you some good things. We, we have to quit saying, if you will, that nothing good will ever happen to you. We got to believe in faith that maybe something will. Maybe you need to hear this today. Maybe this is what he wants to change in you. He wants to comfort those who mourn, provide for those who give, who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Maybe getting from here to there today for you is about comfort. Perhaps you're on a journey of grieving or walking through pain. The Old Testament people, when they mourned, and they grieved. They would sit in sackcloth and cover themselves in ashes. Maybe you've heard that before. And they would sit and they would grieve and they mourn. And Jesus is like, you know, no, I want to stand you up. I want to dust off the, off the ashes. And I actually want to put a crown on you of beauty to remind you that you're royalty. Remind you that you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my prince. You're my princess. <laughs> and you're beautiful. And I want to take away that mourning and that pain. He will comfort us. Maybe you need to hear it. Do these things just happen? Sometimes they happen to us, and sometimes they happen because of us. And then I love what he says here, the oil of joy instead of mourning. The Lord has anointed me to give the oil of joy instead of mourning. In fact, he's going to pour oil all over your life. And what I mean by that, first of all, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of symbolism here. The Holy Spirit's often the oil in scriptures, but, but nonetheless, I know that this world needs more joy. So many of us struggle with this, and he wants to pour like oil over us, over our, if you will, over our lives. You ever tried to get oil off your skin? (laughs) Kind of hard to do. He wants you to be covered in the oil of his joy instead of sitting, and there's so much negativity in this world. 
There's so much lamenting. There's so much complaining. Most people come home from work and they complain instead of talk about the joy of the Lord of that day. Most people complain and are negative about other people in life versus speaking of the good things in their life. People are more prone to gossip than they are to encourage. Are you with me? And this is something the Lord needs to do. We need him to pour this out, and some of us need this. We are walking not with the joy of the Lord in our heart. But he says, I can change that in you. And then he goes on and he says, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus came to change us. He came to change what we even wear. Not all is lost. The world has not lost hope. It's not all despair. And I know this is maybe not everyone in the room, but there are people, especially in the Christian world, that they are always pointing to everything that's happening in the world and pointing to all of its terribleness. You know what I'm talking about? The people that are like, oh man, any day now, the world is about to end. Could you, have you seen how bad it is out there? It's always been bad out there, just so you know. It's always been bad. And here's the thing. Our job is not to point to the bad, but it's to point to Christ. Our job is not to point out all the things that are going wrong in the world, but the bulldozer, bulldozer trying to bulldoze everything wrong. Instead, it's to point to the very goodness of God. And he wants to clothe us in a garment of praise in which our lips and our hearts would be praising more than despairing. And some of us need that change in our life. And then I love what he says. He says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I love this verse. We, this, this part of the verse is actually on the front banner when you walk in the room, there's a, in the building, there's a big oak tree and it's been just a blessing to our life for so many years and we love this scripture that Jesus would come and help our life be like a mighty oak of righteousness and that when we're planted in this world that we would be a testimony of Jesus and God and his splendor, that our life would actually testify for the display of his splendor. That's where we need to be. That should be our there. Are you with me? That should be our there. How do we get from here to that? How do we get to become a person where the display of his splendor is our life? To where everything about who we are is just giving him glory. Because there's another version that says the display of his glory and splendor. That should be our life. Some changes, my friends, are not inevitable. You are not guaranteed that one. There's going to be some things that happen to you that God takes you from here to there, breakthrough things that happen that are amazing and powerful, and then there's going to be things in which you say, you know what, I'm going to do what it takes to make the changes. There are some things that are going to happen because of you. There are changes that are dependent on God to do big things in you, and there are changes that are dependent on you to do big things for God, or maybe better said, with God. I must have radical faith in Christ. Are you with me? But I also must have radical faith to do things for Christ. And I think so many times the world, the churches that we live in, we speak so much to one or the other. There's one group that says, it's oh, it's all about the Spirit and what the Lord's going to do, and He's going to zap us from heaven, and it's going to be this great experience, and it's going to be awesome. We don't have to do anything. God's going to do all the work. Let's just let Him do the work. And that's a true thing, but it's an incomplete thing. Then there's this other side saying, oh, it's all about the Word. Let's just read the Word. Let's not talk about the Spirit. Let's just read the Word. And if we do what it says, then we'll do everything um, right. And so what you have... This is incomplete picture, and we need to be people of word and spirit. Ones in which we, we look at the gospel, and we see one of power and supernatural realities in which God can do anything in a moment. He can take us from here to there tomorrow, because the breakthrough says, I don't need the baby steps. 
And then we also look at this and we go, no, 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 but God also gave us the practical guide, if you will, the practical way, the, the things that prove to us that our choices matter. And that it's not okay to not make choices that lead us to become the people that God has called us to become. And so many of us, we live with the truth in our hands and we go, man, I wish that our life could look like that. I wish our life would look like the ones we read in the scriptures. But we don't really do anything about it. We just kind of wish. Like all of a sudden, one day we're going to wake up and we, f- we found faith. All of a sudden, one day we're going to wake up and we go, oh, now I know how to read the Bible. Or how I know how- now I know how to pray. Like one day, that's all of a sudden going to happen. Listen, Jesus outlines how to live, how to be forgiving, how to be humble, how to be faithful, how to get up and pray, how to be righteous, how to be holy, how to get rid of sin, how to not lust. He he tells us all these things. It's all right here. And he says, your choices matter. Will you change? Will you become who I've called you to be? Will you do the things I've called you to do? But will you also believe that there's some things you can't do, by the way? There's some things that it's only by me that that's going to happen. But guess what? I've invited you in to my power. I've invited you in to the possibility. And some of us, we just got to make, you know, the cannonball into the possibilities of life with Jesus. I hope that focusing on Jesus this past year has changed you. I hope the temperature that you have for Christ has increased. But I also hope the temperature of your faith has increased, meaning the things that you feel called to do. That we would be someone that's planted like an oak tree in the Word of God, but yet our lives would be a display of His splendor, meaning the power of the Spirit would be all over it. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your here is. Your here may be a rough place. It may be a struggle. But I know for a lot of us, here is not a struggle. Here is pretty good. Family's good, work's good, everything's pretty good. No matter where you are, where here is, I want to say if it's a struggle, there's hope. Don't lose hope. He wants to take you somewhere. But for those who would say, if I'm being really honest, here's not that bad. Here's pretty good. Don't get comfortable. Don't stop believing that he wants to change you. There's always a there with Jesus. That's not, that's not heavy. That's exciting. He's always got more. He's always got something deeper, something more profound. That's what he is. He's endless. He's eternal. So I want to end with a few practical thoughts on continuing change. How do you change then? What do I do? Well, a few things. First one is this. Ask the questions to get clear on the answers. I just thought I'd end with some practical things. Ask the questions to get clear on the answers. Like, what are the questions? Well, here are the questions. The first one is, what changes do you need God to do for you? What changes do you need God to do for you? Meaning it's a change that you're like, I I couldn't do that one. I even remember in my own life, I've had moments where I've said, God, I cannot do this. I need you to do this. If, if I, I, I'm done, I'm like, I'm spent, I'm out of ideas and energy and I have nothing left to give. I need you to get me from here to there. And you know what? I've, had, I've experienced when he's done that. And it's been powerful and amazing and a testimony to tell. I've also had times when, for whatever reason, he said, no, this isn't the thing. I, need to, I don't need to take you there. 
Not everything is a breakthrough. Not everything is a, is a yes. Sometimes it's a later. Sometimes it's a not now. What's the thing that you need God to do? And what changes do you need to choose to do? So remember, some things happen to us and some things happen because of us. And there are things that you need to do. There are changes you need to make. And I want to encourage you to seriously ask these questions. Most people don't take change seriously. They all want to change, but nobody actually does anything to change. We go, oh, yeah, I should change, I should change. But then we just live our life, and whatever the life is that we live is the life that we have. And so we're just living the life that's handed to us versus going after the life that we're called to. Are you with me? And so we need to actually seriously consider. So I would say, I, I, I don't know how everybody thinks. I know some people don't need to write and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't actually write to these questions, my guess is that you probably will never really answer them. So I'm just saying, like, you probably got to actually go, what's the answer? Answer the questions. What do you need God to do? And what do you need to do to continue to move forward? God's going to put things in your heart. You need to change this, that, that. Second one, don't try harder. Instead, train better. (laughs) So much about faith is often put into the category of trying harder, and it's just not fun. Like, you know, you get to the moments, like the moments here, and it's like, oh, it's time to worship. And you're like, I guess I should try harder. But you're not really ever ready for that moment. And so we try harder to do things, but yet when we get into the moment to do them, it doesn't feel all that great. We're either exhausted or we're not ready. And what I'm saying is we need to train harder. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul uses this imagery of athletes and our faith all the time and here's the thing we have to learn how to train you're like what does that mean we got to change our training habits and our practices we need to start studying some of us don't know anything about the word and so we we lean on the understanding of others to hopefully give us just a little bit of taste and so we know when have we ever studied have we literally studied the word of god before not just read the word of god and go i don't know what that means and move on but go i'm going to actually study in this start to learn what it means have we been around master bakers if we're going to make a cheesecake we should probably get around some master christians right master followers of jesus some people that we would want to di- disciple us people that would want to mentor us and you know what that's not on the mentors all the time so many times like nobody's ever asked me to mentor i've always said it's on you to get a mentor it's on you to get someone to disciple you i hope that god just says you know what i got someone for you and they bring him to you but that's not always the case Learn from somebody else. We got to train better. Hmm. Third one, deepen your experiences. Choose to step into new and deeper, more faithful experiences. So many of us, so many of us haven't done this, and it's because of fear. It's not because of a lack of desire. We're unsure, and I just want to say, Places that are unfamiliar are where God operates most deeply. God, God operates most deeply in places that are unfamiliar. And if, and if stepping into a prayer room is unfamiliar, that's probably because um, you, you haven't done it enough and you need, to, you need to step into a new experience. If, if you're not used to coming to gatherings or worship nights or things like, I mean, church even, depending on where you're at. And for some of you, it's like, I'm doing all those things. Then it's like, okay, what else is God calling me to? What is? Maybe it's walking across the street to a neighbor and saying, I need to know your name. Maybe it's being bold and courageous by sharing your faith or your testimony with someone that you know or, or, or whatever it is. And so there's going to be acts of courage. There's going to be acts of serving. Some of you, it's like, I need to start actually doing what the Bible says and serve people in humility. So what are the things, what are the new experiences that you need to step into that you're not, you're not, you're not relying on past and you're not riding the, th- the wave of something you did 10, 15, 20 years ago and saying, yeah, I've been there, done that. I don't need to do that anymore. 
And you're also not stopping short of stepping into new spaces because you're maybe afraid of it. Doesn't feel like you. Yeah, Jesus doesn't want you to feel like you. He wants you to feel like the new and better version of you that's somewhere in the future that's, that's ahead of you. All right. Following Jesus changes us, and he will do that for the rest of your life. So yes, absolutely, Jesus changes everything about everything. He's done it, he's doing it, and he's going to continue to. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. I just want to give you some space to even reflect on these questions. What's the change you need him to do? And what's the choices or the changes that you need to do? You see how that's a that's a balance of faith, trusting him for what you can't do. But also it's a balance of walking in step with him, trusting him, doing what he's called us to do. So maybe right now, what's the thing that you need God to do? Just reflect on that for just a moment. I don't think you can, you need more time than just today. So maybe spend time later, but what's something that you need God to do for you? Maybe some of you right now are receiving that in your heart. You're already kind of getting that picture or that thing or something's come to mind. You're like, oh my gosh, this has been my there for a long time. What's something that you need God to do? Holy Spirit, we just pray right now that you come into this room and that Lord you would start to reveal to us the things that, Lord, we need to trust you in. When you start to reveal to us the things that we know only you can do, that, Lord, you would show us these things. Now I want you to reflect on the question, what's something that you need to choose to do? What's a change you need to make that you know that a lot of it has to do, yes, of course, the Lord working alongside you, the Lord, Lord working in you, but he's given you the power of choice and the power of, of, of obedience to be able to, to, to follow these changes and to step into them. What's something that you need to change? It may be something that you are doing that you need to quit doing. It may, it may be something that you need to start doing that you aren't doing right now. It's a change you need to make. Holy Spirit, would you come into this room? Would you reveal these things to our heart? Would we not shy away from them? But, Father, would we step into them? Father, you came to usher change and a new way to be human. Father, may we remember that always, and may we pursue it with passion and love and excitement and joy. And thank you, Father, that you came to change things that we couldn't change ourselves. Thank you that you came for us who are poor and broken those who are mourning and those who are captive. Thank you, Father, that you've come to give us an oil of joy, to put a garment of praise on us, Father. And thank you that, Lord, you want to plant us like an oak of righteousness planted for the display of your splendor. May that be our there, Father. May we want to get there. May we do and trust in the ways that you've called us to. So, Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. 
If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.